Welcome to Hotspots H2O from Circle of Blue's award-winning team of journalists. We're examining regions, populations, and countries most at risk from water-related stress. I'm Brett Walton, a Circle of Blue reporter. With stories from around the world, we're revealing the challenges that individuals confront and the solutions they discover as they strive to build resilient communities in the face of the competition between water, food, energy, and a fast-changing climate. I'm speaking with Dr. Carl Middleton, who is Deputy Director for the Center for Social Development Studies at Chulalongkorn University in Bangkok, Thailand. Dr. Middleton studies dams and hydropower development on the Great Rivers of Southeast Asia. One of those rivers, the Mekong, is often in the news for its dams, its delta, and its fisheries. Today, however, we want to learn about a river to the west called the Salween that's under similar stress as the Mekong. So Dr. Middleton, can you describe the Salween Basin for us and some of the pressures that it faces? Sure. Thank you, Brett, for inviting me today to join your program. So as you mentioned, there are many major river basins in Southeast Asia, of which probably the Mekong is the most well-known. Another river basin um, currently with extensive plans for hydropower is the Salween, which is located, it's a river that, an international river that flows from China and then downstream to Myanmar and Thailand. It starts in the Tibetan Plateau, and at present it's free-flowing for most of its length. In China, it passes through Yunnan province, and then in Myanmar, through Shan, Karen, and Kareni states. And it also forms the border for about 120 kilometers with Thailand, and then it empties into the sea at Molan Yai town in Mon state. About 6 million people live within the basin, and reflecting the areas that it passes through, it passes through many different ethnic areas. And so it has great socioeconomic and, and cultural and political diversity. But actually, as, as you mentioned, compared to the Mekong, and like the Chao Praia maybe in Thailand, very little is known about this, uh, this river, including by researchers. So you said that there are plans for dam development on the Samhain, but there's no dams on the main stem yet, right? Yes, that's right. So I mean, there's been plans for quite a while. So on the upper Samhain, uh, which is the new, called the Nujiang in China, for the last couple of decades, there's been a debate about the fate of the river. In that stretch of the river, there's been a plan for a cascade of about 15 dams since the early 1990s. If those projects are built, it'd have impacts locally, but also downstream on Myanmar and Thailand. Then downstream in, in Myanmar, since the 1970s, there's been plans for about six projects in Myanmar itself, in different ethnic states, and then also two on the Myanmar-Thai border. Some of these projects are hydropower projects, but also some of them propose to transfer water from the Salween or one of the major tributaries uh, in Thailand to Thailand's Chao Praia River to address drought during the dry season. So, I mean, if we take a broad view at the projects, I mean, they're aligned with government policies that want to privilege economic growth, mainly through generating electricity. But then also these projects are a threat to the livelihoods of people who live within the basin as well as the rich biodiversity that we find in the basin. So if there have been plans for decades, why have there been no dams developed? What's been preventing that? Well, that's an that's a interesting question. So I think if we start by looking in China, China has had a, a sort of regional development strategy called the Western Region Development Strategy. Generally, it's the, the general direction of that, of that strategy is to build large dams in the West, in particular in Yunnan province and then to send the electricity to the east, um, to the industrial eastern seaboard. Because both um, the Mekong and the Nujiang start in Yunnan, the large projects so far have been built on the Mekong River in Yunnan. So the, 
the Salween hasn't yet had those large projects developed. If we look a bit further downstream in Myanmar, there have been plans to um, develop these projects for a while. They've been on paper, but probably one of the important reasons why the projects haven't gone ahead is because they're proposed in areas that are active areas of conflict. So I want to talk about the conflict a bit, because a couple of weeks ago, there was some fighting around one of the proposed dam construction sites that I think displaced several thousand people. Do you know more about what's going on in this part of Myanmar? I mean, I think, I mean, this most, these most recent reports have to be contextualized a little bit to the longer history of Myanmar and why there are these violent conflicts. So really it goes all the way back to the post-colonial period since the British and the tension between the central state and the different ethnic areas. So as I mentioned already, the, the river flows through ethnic areas such as Shan State and Karen State, where ethnic groups are also seeking regional forms of development or uh, local identity. Obviously, if, if uh, projects are being proposed that are really large national scale projects by the national government, then this runs up against ideas for local development in the, lo- in the um, ethnic areas. So there's been a long, a long period of conflict. Some people say the longest running civil war globally in uh, Karen State, which is where this most recent fighting has occurred. But at, at the same time, since the country's transition to a civilian government in uh, 2010, the president, Uten Sen, at the time initiated a, a peace process in the country. There was a tentative hope for peace when 16 ethnic armed groups signed the National Ceasefire Agreement in March 2015, which followed a, a year of negotiation. I think it's also important to note, however, that that doesn't mean that there's national peace. There are still a number of areas that uh, continue to fight. Also, what's been in the news a lot recently has been the intensifying fighting in Kachin State in northern Myanmar, and then as you mentioned, also around some of the dam sites like Mongton and Hatji. So the, the actual situation on the ground is quite complex. Around the dam site, some areas are controlled by a group called the Dem- Democratic Karen Benevolent Army, or the DKBA. Uh, some are controlled by the Karen National Liberation Army, which is linked to the KNU, the Karen National Union. And then there's also the Burma Army and the Border Guard Force. So actually, the the most recent fighting goes back to around September 2014. It seems that overall, um, the Burmese military has been trying to control larger areas of the Hatji Dam site, which at present is under the control of the DKBA. Even at that time, it was reported that about 2,000 people were displaced. And then over 2015 and 2016, there were other reports of fighting. And then, as you mentioned, most recently, it seems that the, it's been reported in the media and by civil society groups that the Burmese military has been strengthening its position, which has also caused concern amongst the Karen National Union, which is one of the signatories of the ceasefire agreement, about what the Burmese military might be planning. And is there any attempt to bring some of the ethnic groups and some of the, the groups that are fighting against the national government into the decision-making process, or is there no common ground for these two sides? Well, I think yeah, this is a very important question as well. So I, I think we could say that there's two positions. Related to the ongoing national peace process, many of the ethnic groups are seeking a long-term political agreement with the government before having any detailed discussions about whether projects such as these large dams should go ahead. On the other hand, as we can see, as, as evidenced by the fighting around the Hatchi Dam and also at another dam site uh, called the Mongton Dam in Shan State, clearly some agencies and project developers 
feel that they can go ahead with the planning process of the project without this comprehensive political agreement first being in place. And this is of great concern because it's very difficult to see how a, a open and informed uh, and deliberative discussion can take place about the future of this major river, whilst at the same time there's no clear and long-lasting peaceful um, development solution in the areas. Is there, is there opposition because the groups don't feel as if they will benefit at all from what's taking place on the river? Where is the energy going and, and who is investing in, in the dams? So at least so for the projects in Myanmar, the consortium that's proposing the project is the Electricity Generating Authority of Thailand International which is a, a company linked to the electricity utility in Thailand. Then it has an MOU with Sino Hydro Corporation, which is one of the large Chinese hydropower developers. And then it also has an agreement with what used to be the Ministry of Electric Power in Myanmar, but now has, that ministry has changed its name, so it's not quite clear what the new agreement will be. The electricity itself on the Salween is on paper mainly for export to Thailand and China. One of of the frames that have been proposed around these projects is that it's needed for national development because Myanmar is short of electricity and yet much of this electricity is actually proposed for export. But I mean, I think this is also interesting, as you mentioned in your introduction, that we see this sort of intersection between food, water and energy. In other words, that rivers provide multiple benefits. And so the sort of bigger question around the future of the Salween is, how does the river relate to local development versus national development versus uh, transnational cooperation? And I think that's a debate that's very difficult to have at the moment, given the lack of a, a clear political agreement for peace. You mentioned that there is a lot of research that still needs to be done on the basin because there's a lot of uh, data gaps and information that's missing about effects that the dams might have. What, what sorts of information do we, the countries need to make better decisions? I think, first of all, the sort of scientific information is very lacking. Like even basic things like the hydrology of the river is quite sparse, let alone the biodiversity value. We know that it's rich, but like the actual systematic study has not been completed. So there's no baseline to evaluate the, the current status of the river. I think also equally important is that there's a diversity of social and cultural systems in the basin that again need to be recognized and acknowledged. So that the type of, um, in terms of knowledge gaps, I think it's also a question of recognizing the validity of many different types of knowledge within the basin. There's been local research that's conducted that shows the cultural and the cultural value of the river, but also the close connection between local people, livelihoods and the natural resources of the river. So I, I think it's not just a question of knowledge gaps, but also recognizing the validity of a range of different knowledges that could inform this discussion. One of the major issues on the Mekong are fisheries and how dams might impact or or destroy, in some cases, one of the the largest inland fisheries in the world. Uh, Is that a similar concern on the Salween? Uh, Definitely. Fisheries are an important part of local livelihoods along the river. Similar to the Mekong as well, so is riverbank agriculture. The river is also monsoonal, like there's rich um, farming along along the length of the river. So, I mean, I think the river is obviously different, but also we can anticipate there would be similar issues around the link between local livelihoods um, and the impacts that large projects would have, large dams would have on, on the people that live along the river, ranging from like the upstream areas all the way down to the delta.
in the way that large hydropower projects might affect sediment flows, for example. And what about the future of the Salween? Uh, you said you're working on a, a research project that attempts to articulate different visions or pathways for the basin. Uh, so what are some of those alternatives? I think the, the research that we've been doing has been trying to explore what possible futures exist for the river. Because, I mean, as you mentioned at the beginning, I think what we see in the news a lot is that I mean, when, when the Salween is reported at all, that it's mainly about the large hydropower projects that are proposed. But actually, when we've researched and talked with a lot of different groups that have a stake in the river basin, they've shared with us many different visions. And I, I think related to this sort of nexus between food, water and energy, uh, one important discussion on pathways to have is about the different options for meeting energy needs locally, nationally, and regionally. So, for example, as with, with many regions around the world now, there's a far greater interest in decentralized and renewable technologies. So in Thailand, there's a growing discussion and propositions for alternative plans on better ways to meet energy needs using these new forms of technology. In the case of Myanmar, similarly, because there's been relatively little investment due to the, the country's context over the past couple of decades, it actually leaves many options open about the future um, investment that could go into the energy sector. One option is obviously a, a large power grid, but other options could be investing up front in decentralized and renewable technologies. So I think one discussion around pathways is the sort of the hard path versus the soft path of energy. Other interesting pathways, I think, that are emerging. So in China on the New Jiang, Actually, the projects seem to be suspended in the most recent national development plan. There's a lot more interest now in protecting the area through national parks. Uh, two new national parks were announced earlier this year, and that builds upon the fact that some areas of the Nujiang were recognized as a World Heritage Site way back in uh, 2003. So the pathways in China can be between sort of ecotourism and, and protecting biodiversity through a national park and supporting the local economy in that sense versus large dams and exporting energy to the, to the West. But I think also important there is that nowadays it seems that China's moving towards a energy surplus. So maybe that reduces the impetus now to build projects on the Nujiang. Uh, one, one new pathway that I think is um, also emerging that I think is interesting is that some groups in Karen State are proposing a peace park. So that's a form of development that would be a local form of sustainable development that would try and build upon the existing local livelihoods and, and customary systems that exist, build upon the strengths of, uh, of culture there to actually produce a more local form of development. And I, I think that's also an important initiative because it also would help in the process of recovering from the, from the decades of violent conflict that have taken place in the area. Excellent. I think that's a, a good note to end on there. Uh, the Peace Park, how far along is that? Is that just conceptual right now? No, there's been um, serious discussion about the Peace Park um, amongst different ethnic leaders. Some organizations like the NGO KSAN have been sharing this idea in, in regional and international meetings. So it's, it's an idea that I think is starting to attract interest, at least amongst groups that are seeking alternative uh, pathways to development. Very interesting. I've been speaking with Dr. Carl Middleton, a professor at Chulalongkorn University in Bangkok, Thailand. This is another installment of Hotspots H2O. Read more at circleofblue.org. I'm Brett Walton, and thanks for listening.